Welcome to the Talented Tenth Podcast. Uh, this is the fall season, and I felt it was important to uh, tackle some serious issues. Um, we're heading into an election, and 2020 has been a crazy year from, you know, uh, run-ins with the police and police brutality, police homicides, uh, overall race relations, pandemics, unemployment, all of these things that have us asking some critical questions. And uh, for me, I don't think I'd be true to who I am if I didn't devote a few, if not quite a few episodes to the seriousness I feel like our country is in. Um, it's odd that even when I, I said I was going to do some politically uh, leaning episodes, there were people who were worried about me. Should you do that? You know, you're a professional. Should you be going into those types of topics? Well, I just wasn't brought up to, is it a consideration? Of course. Um, but I wasn't brought up to skirt important issues that really stir me just because my individual journey may be made hard and not impossible. Um, and so I wanted to tackle the question that came out of that conversation. And it's one that Doc Rivers touched on early on uh, in, the, in the playoffs. Why do we love a country so much that seems to not love us back? And it's a very profound question, one that is not expected to bring an answer. It's rhetorical. Uh, but I wanted to kick this uh, season off by answering that question, at least from my perspective. You can love a country's ideals. You can uh, love what a country was founded upon, what's enshrined in its documents and understand that the fallibility of people has made it imperfect and the fallibility and uh, nature of people continues to prevent us from, from reaching its promise. I love this country because I know what it can be, not because, I, not because of what it has been or even is right now. I've been forwarded a lot of opportunities. Uh, but I've had to fight through quite a bit of headwinds uh, in the process as well, as, as do a lot of us. And that's not exclusive to black people either. And I, I just want to make it very clear that when we bring up privilege, privilege does not mean that there's an absent of, absence of hardship. White privilege does not mean that there aren't black people who are privileged as well comparatively uh, to other Americans. White privilege, in my opinion, as I take it on, largely points to the institutional uh, advantages that you neither have to request nor that you can opt out of or, or not be a part of. Um, 
that is the that is the crux of white privilege. But to the to the to the original question, why do you love a country so much that doesn't seem to love you back? Haven't we all loved something that can't adequately love us back or hasn't? Haven't we? I have. I know I have. And I'm an adult that's wise enough to know that reciprocity can't be table stakes. That I'm not going to sit at the table. I'm not going to try and make things better. I'm not going to try and do anything unless everything is equal from the beginning. We face headwinds. We always have. And I love this country because by hook, in the face of crooks, we've been able to incrementally make progress. And that does not mean I'm satisfied. Um, the amount of energy it takes to make change in this country for what seems to be obvious, what is objectively happening, is it's entirely too much. It's entirely too hard. So one thing I want to be clear about is the reason why I believe that this election is so important is because it has been truth. It has been objective facts. It's been the stirring of consciousness whether it's dogs biting people on the streets, whether it's bombs going off in churches, whether it's my dad being called a nigger in the third grade. When you stir the conscience, when you show facts, when you're objective, you're not a fool to rely on our institutions. Because our institutions are the bedrock of this country and the vessel by which progress has always been made. You can be dissatisfied with institutions, but know that they're critical to achieve the promise that you and the world you want to see. This president doesn't care about that. So the next question I normally get is, you know, why are you a progressive? Why are you a Democrat? Um, simply put, I believe in altruism. I believe in the unselfish concern for the welfare of others. I truly believe that it's incumbent upon those with broad shoulders who have an elevated capacity, who have a strength that is uncommon, to carry as much of the load for your brothers and sisters as possible. Some may laugh when I say this, and as supremely confident as people know I am. Where I sit, what I'm doing right now, at 30 years old, when I left Monticello High School, I wasn't sure I'd ever get to the financial freedom, 
the richness of friendships, the health of my family, and hopefully that continues. Just the overall certainty with which I take steps and walk each day is not something that I've, I've always believed I was going to have. So when you enter into the next phase of your life with that level of humility, which may seem foreign to some people that know me, but truly the humility with which I walk, there before the grace of God go I. You understand the fragility of success, the fragility of opportunity, and how it's important for us to be good stewards and, frankly, protectors of opportunity for, for all Americans, and for me, especially African Americans. And the gaslighting that is taking place right now, the perversion of norms, the ignoring of truth. We have a situation today where someone, the President of the United States, will say something on video or on audio and then literally tell you that it didn't happen the next day. If you wonder why African Americans largely, not all, but largely, feel a sense of urgency about this election, it's because of the history. If someone can, how do I put this? If someone can routinely convince people that something that we all see wasn't seen, we know based off our history what that could mean for our people. So when someone asks me, why is voting important? It doesn't have to be a policy-specific reason, although there is policy differences that I truly think make a difference. When people in power aren't even held accountable to the truth of their own words, plain and simple, objective, not subjective, tyranny is around the corner. So to all my people out there, black, white, just any American, you have to vote. You have to be an active participant in democracy. It is mission critical. It's a, you owe it to your family, you owe it to your kids, you owe it to your people and your fellow, fellow citizens. This is not a game. This is not a game. When the dog whistles become loud as a referee's whistle, you have to vote. When hundreds of thousands of people are dying and people and, and, and you have leaders in power who say it is what it is, you have to vote. When people of goodwill are being brainwashed 
by total untruths, you have to vote that thinking out. When senators and representatives are not upholding their duties, you have to vote. It is 100% necessary. When you ask, well, what has someone done for me? Or my taxes have went down. Or the unemployment rate is lower for African Americans. Make sure that you understand where that momentum began. Make sure that that is actually true. Listen to the messages that are being sent to you. The ones that I hear primarily, pre-pandemic, African-American unemployment was down. Yes, it is. It's the lowest level it's been. Yep. When did it begin going down? When did it begin going down? I use this analogy, and it may not be a good analogy, but I use the analogy. If the presidency was a four by 100 meter relay, if the first leg builds a slight lead, if the second leg doubles that lead, and the third leg quadruples that lead, that lead. If the fourth leg barely wins, what would you think if they said, well, I was the final leg, so us winning was all because of me? That's effectively the pitch right now. Economically, we were doing better. Unemployment was going down. Unemployment was going down. Even if we separate out the pandemic. But because the records were almost being beaten before this president took over, because he moved it a little bit further, he acts like he did all the work. And it's all in an effort to pacify you and say, well, what are you complaining for? Well, we're complaining because people are continuing to die in the streets. We're complaining because there's zero compassion or urgency on the issue. We have attorney generals. We have the attorney general saying that systemic racism doesn't exist. We have a president of the United States on audio telling a reporter, Bob Woodward, who's saying that he is a, uh, as a white American may need to come out of the cave and do some self-examination. He responds by saying, man, you're really drinking the Kool-Aid. It's not drinking the Kool-Aid. It's what is actually happening. So why vote? There's a lot of people in our community 
who don't see the value in it. And there's good reason. And Democrats have to take notice. You get support, you get energy. African-American women are the most dependable voting bloc in the country. And it seems like there's no help directly and specifically for our people. That has to change. That has to change. And so I'm not an advocate for a blind vote. But I'm also not an advocate for a protest vote. Voting for the other person who isn't going to do anything for you just because the person you did vote for or the party you did vote for didn't do everything you wanted them to do is how we're in this situation right now. Protest votes. Being just disgruntled. Flip the table. That'll show them. Now look at us. Now look at us. People, we have over a thousand people dying a day and it doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore. Even I'm desensitized to it. Is this who we are? Is this who we are? A lot of people ask me, why did I go to law school if I wasn't going to be an attorney? And the fact of the matter is I went to law school so I could understand the system by which I have to live in. I wanted to expand my knowledge. I wanted to understand the foundation of the country. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to learn more. And I wanted to be able to pay it forward. I wanted to be able to show people that it could be done. And I was willing to pay for that. And I don't regret it. I just think we have to carry that same fundamental spirit into what we do from this point forward. Sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice. And I think time now is, it's time now that we are uncompromising. Um, so I want to end this episode by speaking directly to my African-American brothers and sisters who don't feel the urgency, who says, I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm going to focus on me. We can't do that. We can't willfully look over the things and the circumstances that we live our day-to-day -day life in just because you're having success. I think one of the largest barriers to uh, progress on, in racial relations totally comes from a select group of us who are happy to be kind of the token guy. I've been that guy before. I was that guy. I was that guy as a young kid. 
and you wake up, you realize that you're not making your people's lives any better or easier. You're being held up as the, well, he did it. Why can't you? Divorced of all context, divorced of all opportunity uh, or, or acknowledgement of the opportunities and circumstances that are different. And when I was 18 years old, and more specifically when I started, when I pledged and was immersed in the most, as I always say, the purest form of black culture, Greek life, I realized that was absolute bullshit. Fight for your people, fight for your ideals. It doesn't even have to be race related. When people with kind hearts who look out for others are laughed at as suckers, Stand up for him. You're not a sucker for trying to do right. That's what this president thinks. You're a sucker. We said it about military. We'll get to that in a later episode. But I, I just can't even tell you the depths with which our moral compasses have fallen. And I, I just beg you, beg you to ensure that you vote. Um, so, you know, when you go through those times in your life, as I said, uh, I did. I came out on the other side of that awakening saying, never again will I filter or overlook something that has been said or done that is wrong to my moral constitution? And I think that is a self-examination that we need to make moving forward. Uh, and I mean, that, that is what I really wanted to say on this first episode of the fall season. I plan on talking about um, the perversion of Christianity right now. You have people who profess to be religious who are not practicing one scintilla of the gospel values that Christians should hold dear. Just total perversions of what we teach, and there's not a care in the world about it. We're going to talk about what do Democrats owe the African-American community. We're going to talk about whether President Obama was a good president. We're going to talk about police reform. And we're going to talk about black act activism. What does that mean? How do we need to organize? How do we need to support each other? Uh, behind me uh, are a set of books that I'm going to read. And uh, also over here on the wall, I have Du Bois, Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, 
Ralph Waldo Ellison, and uh, Toni Morrison. I wanted to read the first sentence, one of the most important, one of the most famous beginnings to a novel in American history. Uh, the Invisible Man by Ralph Waldo Ellison. Um, it reads, Give me one second, sorry about that. I am an invisible man. No, I am not a spook like those who haunted Edgar Allan Poe, nor am I one of your Hollywood movie ectoplasms. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand simply because people refuse to see me. Like the bodiless heads you see sometimes in circus sideshows. It is as though I have been surrounded by mirrors of hard distorting glass. When they approach me, they see only my surroundings, themselves, or figments of their imagination. Indeed, everything and anything except me. And I said, first sentence, I meant first paragraph. But we're going to delve into that. Invisible Man is a work that I haven't finished. Uh, but um, I think is super, super uh, indicative of how black people have felt for a long time. And where we are in this country, even though we haven't been fully visible, fully seen for who we really are, our talents actually appreciated and not appropriated. Uh, I think we need to show this urgency, not just because of all of the political reasons, but because we are at risk of becoming less visible than we already are. And so, Keep coming back. Uh, I plan on having all the episodes I laid out, and I'm going to constantly tell you to vote. Um, there's more to come, and as always, I'll see you soon.